This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Let's go back in time to 1932 as Congress brings you historic footage of the legendary original Celtics with whom all great professional teams are compared. We have now taken over your radio. Richie Guerin is about to show you the most important step in getting past a man. It's the first one. And Oscar will inbound it. The men in green, the Milwaukee Bucks, that's Al Cinder against Bellamy. It has Jordan. Allen shakes free. Gets two. Gilmore on the stop. Oh, brother. Toledo artist, you get 21. 4.28 to go in the first quarter for the Cow Palace. Here's Barry. Hello and welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Mann. With me today, he is the editor-in-chief of Harvard Paroxysm, also the host of the R-Squared Podcast, which you can find on this very podcast network, Ian Levy. Welcome back, sir. Thanks for having me on again. So we are continuing our series talking about the uh, uh, top 50 players, uh, now talking about uh, modern players who could be contenders for that slot, and uh, and you've chosen Reggie Miller. He is 17th all-time in win shares, 45th all-time in win shares for 48, uh, 49th in box score plus minus, 20th in value over replacement player, uh, had three all-NBA third-team selections, um, Five times was in the top 10 in the league in win shares and once was top 10 in value over replacement player. Um, we've been looking at some of the other um, all-time rankings for players. Uh, in the Bill Simmons pyramid, he is 63rd out of 98 players. And in the Slam 500, he is 54th. Um, so, uh, Ian, what do, you, what do you think of Reggie Miller's top 50 case? Uh, well, I think it's probably less about stats than more it is about sort of his uh, his personality and his presence on the court. Um, I grew up as a Pacers fan, and I kind of uh, my um, my interest in basketball sort of coincided with him entering his prime with the Pacers. Um, so he was always my favorite player. He was always the player I watched the most closely, and. Uh, you know, even rooting for him strongly, even being a huge fan, you know, I always sort of knew he was not the best shooting guard in the league. I I, I don't think he was ever the best shooting guard in the league. I don't think he was ever, um, you know, really an MVP candidate or anything like that. And I know that those sort of criteria are really big for these kind of conversations of, of lasting greatness. But he was, um, his presence on the court was so visceral. Uh, when you watched him play, he was just constantly in motion. Everything was moving around the court. And he was one of those guys who commanded defensive attention from all five of the opposing players. Cause he was constantly running off screens, constantly, you know, darting in and out, ducking behind players and everybody had to pay attention to him. 
um, so his presence was really large. And then, um, you know, he, he had a, he has a well-deserved reputation as, as one of the best clutch players in the game. Um, and, you know, he had all those memorable moments against the Knicks, hit a couple big, big shots against Jordan and the Bulls. Um, and, so that that kind of presence, that swagger, he just he believed in himself. Yeah, even if we all knew that he wasn't the best shooting guard in the game, uh, or maybe even always the best player on the floor, he believed that he was, and he thought every shot was going to go in. Um, and and so uh, on some level, that that sort of uh, belief and and presence, I think, counts for something. Yeah, and. You know, I mean, he was very, very good for such a long time. Like, that really mm-hmm. has added up for him. Yeah, that's another thing, too. You know, he he was one of those players who maybe didn't peak as high uh, as as maybe some of the other players were talking about. But his, his – so his prime was not as high, but his prime lasted a long time. You know, he was um, – you know, the, the when he was at his best, that that period of his career really lasted for a long time. You know, what he did mostly was shoot. He was not a great defensive player. He he hit threes. He stretched the defense, and he you know he he had those pump fakes, and he he got a lot of foul shots out of uh, you know off that pump fake, and and so that uh, you know those skills sustained even as his athleticism declined. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, he really, you know, up until, uh, I mean, even his last few seasons, he still was was still a pretty strong player, still playing heavy minutes, still was, you know, do, doing the same things that, you know, he had been doing. You know, his, um, he, he didn't quite have the same as big a role toward late later part of his career, but really, he. Um, I uh, just was, and it, it, it honestly, it's a little bit surprising in retrospect. I, th- I think his reputation is almost. Um, bigger now than it was at the time because he doesn't really have that many all um, NBA selections three times <laughs> in the third team had five all-star selections you know which is a good number but not like I I, I think the first time I kind of look back I'm like oh wow he didn't really like I, I think he's almost like his reputation is not better now exactly but it's maybe even a little bigger now because those famous playoff series those clutch moments really loom large yeah yeah for sure and then i think there's also something to the the length of his career sort of made him an icon for that franchise and i just i have the the franchise index open on basketball reference and i just counted and he led the pacers in win shares for 14 consecutive seasons um so you know a decade and a half he was the best player on that team um and you know to to spend his entire career with one franchise is is really rare and to sort of be the best player and the most dominant player on a franchise for so long is really rare um and so i think that helps build his legacy too you know even to this day when you think of the Pacers, you think of Reggie Miller first. Um, and so I, I think that elevates his legacy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so Rich, uh, who couldn't be with us tonight, did uh, has some deeper stats uh, that he uh, compiled, um, mm-hmm. sort of some of his rankings to the uh, players of his era who are also guards. Uh, he is 28th in points per uh, 36, uh, 29th in three-pointers per 36, Um Fourth in effective field goal percentage, uh, third in value over replacement player behind Jordan Stockton, and eighth in win shares for 48. Um, looking at uh, among his position among guards all time, 
77th in points per 36, 41st in three-point percentage, uh, 10th in effective field goal percentage, uh, 7th in value over placement player, uh, very good, obviously, and 18th in win just for 48. Um, I, I don't know. What do you think is the effect of being in the shadow of Jordan and maybe – that shadow being greater because he played in the same conference, a similar position, and you know fought um, each other a few times in the playoffs. Although the Pacers were among the more effective teams in getting to the Bulls, they they came probably the closest to any of those teams in those six years. I mean, it's the same problem that you know plagues Malone and Stockton and Barkley and a lot of other people's that their primes ran up against Jordan, and you know he's he's sort of a, an impossible standard to be measured against, um, you know, because nobody in that era was as good as him, and he, you know, he casts a long shadow over everyone. So, you know, I think some of it is is the the bad luck of having run up against, um, you know, having run up against uh, uh, Jordan, um, but I mean that wasn't the. Uh, you know, Jordan was not was not always the one who knocked the Pacers out. They had some chances other seasons. You know, that Malice in the Palace season, um, that felt like a really special Pacers season. I think that was his second to last before he retired. Um, and that looked like a team that, that could have competed for a title. Um, and, uh, you know, everything sort of fell apart around him, uh, you know, through no fault of his own there. Um, you know, and they had some other, they had some other tough playoff losses and, and the one time they made the finals, you know, same kind of thing. They ran up against Shaq and Kobe who were sort of at their peak. Um, and they were, you know, hopelessly overmatched there. Um, so, you know, it's again, it's one of those things who, you know, he had a very, very great career and it looks not quite as great when you hold it up against some of the other, you know, some of the other contemporaries who were even better. Yeah. Uh, you know, Curtis Harris talks about like um, Walt Bellamy and Nate Thurmond, you know, getting <laughs> stuck behind, um, you know, Russell and um, and Chamberlain and later Kareem, you know, the kind of that same phenomenon. These guys are just so we're really, really good, but they're stuck on. You know, but they're just not as well regarded because, you know, you're behind, you know, you just get behind a a historical great or two right around the same time you're playing. It's really hard to overcome that, even though, you know, Reggie Miller is a is a well-remembered player. I mean, he certainly is someone who, um, you know, people, you know, who stands out. I guess a lot of that's the personality that he talked about. I mean, he was a great villain. He was, you know, a uh, and a great character. Yeah, and it's funny. It's funny to hear him called a great villain because I was a Pacers fan, so I thought of everybody else as the villains. You know, the Knicks were the villains, and he was the hero. He was the the brash, cocky hero. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I, I think his his legacy and sort of where he stands on this list is about his personality and about his aesthetic and about the um, the the visceral experience of watching him play. Um, you know, of as a fan, as somebody who watched the Pacers regularly, that feeling that it was never hopeless, you were never completely out of a game, if there was a little, two seconds left, you know, that that feeling that he could hit that shot, that he could make it. I also think it's kind of sad, but uh, I, I would imagine that his legacy has been tarnished somewhat by his work as an announcer. I know he is not uh, not everyone's favorite, uh, not everyone's uh, favorite guy to listen to call a game, so uh, maybe, maybe, if he, maybe if he had become an insurance salesman or something after the game, we might be talking about him a little differently. <laughs> maybe so uh, so i I have a question let's say you're down to number 50 
And um, taking personal bias aside, and Reggie Miller and Ray Allen are your last two. Who do you think you choose? Oh, man. Uh, You know, personal bias, I would take Reggie. Uh, I I think probably Allen was a more complete player. Uh, I think he was uh, he was a much better athlete than than um, Reggie Miller ever was. Um, there's also, you know, hold Ray Allen up to anybody else, and he seems like a specialist. But compared to Reggie, um, I, I think he was a much more diverse scorer, especially when he was younger. He sort of did a lot of things that that maybe Reggie couldn't do. Um, but I also don't feel like. Um, I also don't think Ray Allen ever maybe inspired the same kind of fear that Reggie that Reggie did, um, or that same sort of sense of hope for the fans or hopelessness for the opposing fans. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. Other than that Spurs game, if, if Ray Allen's a guy who breaks your heart as much as Reggie does, so uh, yeah, I, I, I guess I guess in a vacuum, I'd have to say Allen, but uh, I don't know if I could ever could ever totally remove uh, emotion from it well yeah I, I, uh, yeah their cases are strikingly um similar which i guess isn't a huge surprise but um because they did have similar styles but really um uh, yeah i but I, I i completely agree with you i mean i, I really um and i might you know i might even think about reggie and i think that really that like having that burden on your shoulder of being like having to be the guy on the team, you know, I mean, you know, he had well-rounded teams, he had good teammates, but, um, having to do that, um, which, you know, Allen didn't really ever have to do to the same extent. I mean, you know, he was on some good teams as well, but, um, you know, obviously, you know, he's part of a big three in the Celtics. Like he didn't have to be the man in the same way that Reggie did. And, and so, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and numbers wise, their cases are, are pretty similar. They have similar length careers and similar, um, you know, uh, across the board, their numbers are, uh, actually even more similar than I realized they would be. Um, so, so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of view Reggie as, a possibility, but um, you know, it, it, it will take it will take some some work to um, obviously kind of dig through. I do think the way that he rates among you know the the level of guys um, for his era is certainly um, it's certainly strong and really for all time. I mean, he he really is a. Um, um, I mean, you know, being a great shooter, being one of the greatest shooters in NBA history is certainly helpful. And that's, um, you know, incredibly fine. I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I wonder if he, I'm, I'm guessing he probably would have even been be better in this, um, NBA as opposed to, you know, um, as opposed to when he played. Yeah, and I know that's one of the things that we talked about the other time about uh, measuring these guys with statistics. That there's some uh, that it's hard to compare guys across eras because the game changed from from period to period, and that. Um, you know, often guys maybe get a little special consideration if they were sort of a pioneer in something, you know, if they were sort of the, the first one to, to use a certain advantage or play a certain way. And, um, you know, the, the three-point line had been around for, you know, a decade before Reggie came in the league, and there were certainly other players who took advantage of it as well, especially in his era. You know, there were other great three-point shooters, Dale Ellis and, um, you know, uh, Del Curry and stuff like that. But, um Reggie seemed uh, unique in that he was uh, 
he was a great player and a great scorer who focused on the three-point line. And it seemed like most of the other great three-point shooters in his era were role players, were complementary players. And he's he's one of the first that I, that I can think of who was sort of a star and carried his team's offense and did that from the three-point line. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's something to... to be said for that you know that that was sort of a, a trailblazing uh, a trailblazing technique or style yeah that's an excellent point and that I, that makes sense to me yeah I mean I really do think he is the first to kind of make that like a primary weapon and to make that you know, an effective way to be a an elite scorer an elite player <laughs> by you know using the three-point line um yeah uh, yeah, you're right. Most of the guys were role players, and even someone like Bird, who certainly was a great three point shooter, didn't use it that often. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was. I mean, Reggie's game was run off a screen, get a three point shot, and if you were off balance, you'd pump fake, drive past you, and get a you know get to the free throw line. His considering uh, you know how much he's sort of viewed as a one dimensional shooter his free throw totals are actually uh, i mean his free throw attempt totals are actually really uh are really pretty high and pretty remarkable um you know hold him up against you know somebody from today like you know corver or something like that which i think is how a lot of people think of him corver reddick or somebody like that um he got to the free throw line a lot and some of it was you know questionable leg kicking and flailing and and uh, he definitely was a was a flopper before his time but um you know he 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 had that part of his game too yeah yeah um anything else you want to say before we go uh i don't think so but um yeah i i don't don't let uh don't let reggie's announcing um take away from the player that he was uh every time you watch him call a game i would encourage you to to shut off the sound and then when the game's over just fire up some some clips on youtube and you'll see him for for what he really is all right well uh, luckily luckily rich is a pretty big reggie fan so you've you've got him in your corner as far as us doing this list and i i will i promise not to let the announcing uh influence me in any way all right thanks a lot jason all right Ian. thanks so much and everyone uh thanks for listening we're going to continue uh looking at uh at top 50 contenders in our everlasting search for a a new top 50 so thanks everyone for uh checking us out uh you can uh, find us at uh hardwoodparoxysm.com and um and we're also part of the hb basketball podcast network so uh all right until next time see ya This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.